I invite you this evening to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 27, Psalm we sang together. A psalm of David when he was pursued by evildoers. Entirely sure of the history of this psalm, but a psalm for all believers as it reflects their faith when it is surrounded and conflicted, and how we can have confidence. Before we read this together, shall we ask for the Lord's blessing? Heavenly Father, we thank you again that we could turn to your word. We ask now, Lord, that you would speak to us, that You would remove the dimness of our hearts away, that you would illumine our eyes, that we might see, that we might not only hear the words that the psalmist speaks, but that we would experience the, the feeling that the psalmist has of the confidence we could have in, in, in you, the light of our salvation. May we hear that tonight, we ask, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Congregation, hear the word of the Lord as, as it is read for you. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, that I will offer in his tent... Sacrifices with shouts of joy, I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. As far from the word of the Lord, may he add his blessing on that word tonight. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the title of this sermon is taken from the hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, where the hymnist reflects on the struggling faith that Christians often have. Often in our lives, we we have moments where darkness seems to enter our soul. We, we feel surrounded by enemies. We feel surrounded by our own thoughts. We're pressed in on every side. And the hymnist writes, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. That's the mood of Psalm 27. 
And David is reflecting on a time in his life when he was completely surrounded by evildoers, those who would put him to shame, those who would, would pursue him to put him to death, who thirsted for his ruin. And he looked outside of himself, and, and indeed even inside of himself, and, and he saw nothing but an encroaching darkness exposed to threats of pursuers. He was like an animal who was hunted down and pursued to a corner and was, was pinned down with nowhere to hide, exposed. But by the Spirit of God moving in his heart, he sings. He sings of his deliverance. He composes a song of, of confidence in his Savior. It's what many commentators call a confidence psalm. It's a mixture between psalms of thanksgiving and, and, and psalms of lament. He's brutally honest about his life. There's the lament, the lamenting of his circumstances. But thankful and, and confident in the God of his salvation, who is his light. And that, that light captures all of his attention. It's the focal point of what he sees, the focal point of his faith. He narrows his vision and focus and widens his eyes that he would gaze upon the Lord. And such a perspective drowns out the sounds of the battle. It, it lights up the darkness. And so the hymnist could write, O oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. And he concludes with that wonderful chorus, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's what we see tonight. And verse 4 is the pendulum swing of the psalm where, where David, in the midst of his circumstances, he turns his eyes upon, upon his Savior. He turns his eyes upon God himself, and, and everything grows strangely dim in the light of his face. And that's what God would, would desire for us to see here this evening. No matter how we feel this evening, no, no matter what we're, we're, we're going through, what circumstance of life, what trouble comes upon us. For if we focus on the trouble, it will feed our fear. But if we, and if we focus on ourselves, we'll doubt our faith. But if we turn our eyes upon Jesus, we can be confident in all things. What a remarkable thing that the Apostle Paul testifies to when, when he counts all of his own righteousness, all of his own achievements, all that he's done in life, and he, he counts it all as rubbish, as refuse, because he's seen the, the, the face of God in Jesus Christ. That he might know him, he says, that he might know the power of his resurrection and be found in him in the righteousness that comes through faith. That's the world growing strangely dim in the light of his face. And may we experience that here this evening as the Spirit works in our hearts through this psalm. First, by seeing this is a faith that is surrounded by shadows. David's confidence comes in spite of, of what he sees. What he sees coming on the horizon, there's this deepening of darkness and shadow around him. He watches, as it were, as the walls of his fortress are, are, are being closed in by the enemy, pouring in around him, as if the dam had broken and the, the waters are rushing towards his walls. And we're not giving a, a historical context to this psalm, nor do we need it. The Spirit uses this psalm to speak to every believer in every circumstance. And certainly in David's life, it could have been Saul, it could have been Absalom. But the Spirit uses the ambiguity that he might speak to, to all of us in a, a timeless sense, where all of us can benefit from the imagery that's employed throughout this psalm. And you can imagine King Hezekiah and, and 
as he stood on the walls of Jerusalem watching the armies of the Assyrians and Sennacherib closing in around the city and him running to the temple to pray to the Lord, to, to tear his clothes in sackcloth and ashes, crying out to the Lord. And how God responded in his defense of the city and, and, and God encamped around them, besieged the besieged people, sending his own angels, 185,000 of them, slain in the night. And similarly, the, the author of Hebrews quotes the Psalms in the New Testament for a New Testament church. It speaks of a church in Hebrews that was afraid of persecution, afraid of the future. Many thinking to turn back, and the pastor says there, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Quoting from Psalm 118. The Psalms have a a timeless relevance to our faith, and David likewise here speaks to his faith as he watches as the shadows are closing in against him, and he's mustering all of his courage for when they come. You get a sense as he feels as if there's, there's no one else coming, that he's all by himself. No one else is coming to save him. They're coming, they're marching, they're flanking him. Notice how he puts it in verse 3. When they come, when evildoers assail me. Or a few lines later, though an army encamp around me, though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. And where does he derive his confidence? He's not saying, bring it on. He's not being arrogant. He's not being, uh, speaking to how strong he is how well prepared he is, how tall his walls are, but he's reminding his heart of his faith. Even in the metaphors he uses to describe God are metaphors that run contrary to everything he sees. God is my light, but everything around me is darkness. God is my salvation, but I am surrounded and trapped. God is the stronghold of my life, but I have never been more exposed, weaker, he has the disposition of Paul who says that, who praises God that his power is made perfect in weakness. He had fightings within and fears, fears without, and, and, and he says, my grace is sufficient for you, my power made perfect in weakness. And David is confident in that power of God to use his weakness to display his strength. And, and notice the images he uses to paint the picture of God's strength. He is my, my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? A light being one of the most ready images to describe God in the Bible. It's often in connection with the truth. Those who believe on him are, are called children of the light. It, it dispels darkness. It makes a way forward. God's word is a light to our path, a lamp to my, my path, a light to my way. It's also a metaphor that is associated with, with the creative power of God. It was the very first words that he speaks, let there be light. Out of nothing, God brings into existence all of creation into the light. Perhaps most evocatively, the the Apostle John says in his first epistle that, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness. James calls him the father of lights, the one who brings every blessing with him, no shadow of change. All of that's captured in this image of blessing, of of creative power, of being near him, of lighting his path forward. God is my light and my salvation. 
And so he's saying, if there's darkness, if, if there's shadows surrounding me, he confesses a God who, who created light out of, the, out of nothing, who could bring salvation out of the hopeless circumstances, out of the darkness. As the hymnist writes, the clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break with blessings upon your head. Don't you know that in your life? The psalmist speaks of all of us, those who we, when we see the darkness around us, oftentimes God uses that darkness to bring about blessing in our life. That he is the one who is sovereign over circumstance, sovereign over darkness, that that can transform these things into our very own blessing. He's confessing the God who is present with him in the darkness, looking forward to the day when Christ, the light of the world, would come into his darkness, his greater son, to make the way of salvation known to all of his people, to be the stronghold of their life. It's the second image we see. Ironically, it's not his fortress where he draws his strength. It's his, it's his savior. He confesses in verse 5, he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. It's a wonderful image. Being trapped in your own castle, surrounded, but abandoning it and, and, and hiding in God who is his, the stronghold of his life. David isn't concerned to bolster his own defenses or take refuge in his own strength, but in his weakness, he runs to the only place he can run to, the only place he can hide, in God himself. Our first parents ran and hid themselves from God, but what a joy, brothers and sisters, that we can, we can hide in God. One of the, the great quotes from C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory is where he says that the devil is a master chess player. And he's always maneuvering us into a position where, where the only way we can save our castle is if we forfeit the bishop. To build up our own kingdoms, our own strongholds. And that's exactly what went on before David. Before David, King Saul was like that. Save the kingdom at the expense of the prophets and the word of the Lord. And David himself was like that until he was himself humbled by the word. And here, the spirit by... by the spirit of, by faith, his, his faith rests on the promises through the spirit in, in the safety of his stronghold. And there under his shadow, being surrounded by him, he is hidden. His enemies can send out their search committees. They can, they can look for him. They can seek him out, pursue him, but they'll never find him. Though they thought they had him cornered, he has disappeared. And don't you long for that sometimes, brothers and sisters, that feeling of disappearing when the day of trouble comes. The feeling of letting it all wash over us, of snapping your fingers and, and being vanished from sight. Where we can rest, where we can hide from our sin, where we can rest from the accusations of our conscience, the world, the flesh, the devil, everything that is against us, that we could just be out of sight and out of mind. I, and that's what our faith is. It is a hiding place. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3, For you have died and your life is, is hidden. Your life is hidden in Christ, in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you shall appear with him in glory. 
You're hidden in Christ, and Christ is before the throne of God. He is the stronghold of our life. He is that perfect one who has entered through and pierced through the veil that he might be seated at the very throne of God, that we might be there with him in his presence. That our life is secured from all of the circumstances of the darkness we see. That's what our faith rests upon. It's hidden in Christ, in God. Our true life is hidden in Christ. That's the longing that David has here. It is what not we now experience. We hear that longing in verse 4 as we come to our second point. He, he longs to dwell in, in God's presence forever. To know him and, and to know the power of his resurrection, as, as Paul would put it. Though he perceives it only in part by the Spirit, he, he turns all of his focus on the Lord. One thing, he says, one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing, one holy passion filling all of his frame as every breath, the Puritan writer Richard Sibbs calls this psalm a breathing after God. It's where every prayer is narrowed in focus and, and for one thing, one purpose, one desire, no matter the circumstance of life, no matter what lot he sees, to pursue and chase his Savior with every breath he takes. That's the pursuit of true life. This, this one thing. He puts lyrics to the words that Jesus tells his disciples when he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seeking Jesus and living according to his words. That's the, that's the one thing. Remember the story of Mary and Martha as they were, they opened, Martha had opened her home to Jesus and was busy making everything ready and, and busy with serving. And Mary simply sat at Jesus' feet and listened diligently to whatever Jesus was saying and teaching. And finally, Martha had enough, and she cried out to him, Lord, don't you care that I'm busy here serving you, and, and my sister is sitting at your feet? And Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. She has chosen the good portion, and it will never be taken away from her. Or perhaps the, the rich young ruler who lived his life with such a concern to be perfect in everything, spotless in his record. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the commandments. And he says, I've done those since youth. I've done it, Lord. I've done enough. I've achieved it. And Jesus says, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have. Become rich towards God. Become my disciple. And he went away sad, for he was very wealthy. The world was too bright, too enticing. And even again for the Apostle Paul, as he, he declares his desire to know God, to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, to release all of his pride, he abandons all of his wealth, all of his status, his favor among men, considers it to be refuse. And then he says, now that I have, have already, not that I've already attained this perfection, or have been made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And one thing I do, I forget what's behind and I strain towards what's ahead. The upward call of God in Christ. Jesus is the one thing. 
That's what David longs for. You can have all of this world, but give me Jesus. That's David's prayer of faith. I want to dwell with him forever, all of my days, that I might gaze upon his beauty and inquire in his temple, to be like him in his presence. Is that what you desire, brothers and sisters? Above all else, that's the one thing, to be made more and more like Christ, your Savior. He puts the question to God in faith, can I dwell with you? Earlier, he puts the questions to himself. Why am I afraid? Who should I fear? Why am I I so afraid of the, the approaching shadow? Who should I fear as God is for me? But now he puts the question to God. One thing I have asked of the Lord, can I dwell with you? Can I gaze upon your beauty forever? Can I inquire of you forever, all my days in your presence? He's asking for for Eden. He's asking for the Holy of Holies. He's asking for the, the God's presence continually without end. For his spirit to dwell within his heart. To gaze upon the Lord face to face. The word he uses for beauty might also be translated as delight in the Lord. Surely he can... He can have, or to, for gazing, it, it could be delight in the Lord. Surely he can, he can have joy in, in, in knowing God, and, and no trouble can reach him when he, when he is focused on the beauty of the Lord. And it melts away in pure delight. And he can inquire, he can ask of the Lord what his desire is for him, that, that he would serve him with his whole heart, mind, and strength. That's the heart of the believer who, who has looked into the face of his Savior. And the strangeness of it all is that David longs to dwell in God's tabernacle to pitch his tent in the heavens with him. But his greater son, Jesus Christ, came to tabernacle with you. His beauty marred beyond all human semblance. His holiness came to meet your sinfulness. Where it would be impossible for us to see the face of God and live, he he came veiled in human flesh that we might see him face to face. Our light in the darkness, his holiness in our presence, and it doesn't consume us. Isaiah saw in in chapter 6 of his prophecy, he saw the inner sanctuary of God's temple in all of its beauty, the one high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filling the temple in its splendor and majesty, his angels crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts, and the earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the temple shook. And yet, what does Jesus say? He says in John chapter 12, Isaiah said these things because he saw my glory and he spoke of me. But the world loves the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And I tell you, whoever sees me sees him who sent me. And I have come into this world as the light of the world so that whoever believes in me might have life in me and may not remain in darkness. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He's come to dwell with me that I might believe in him and have his life. A man's glory grows strangely dim in the light of his face. Have you seen his face? In the light of his word. As the Apostle Paul says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. To know his grace, his kindness towards you. That's what he means when he's, he uses the word beauty. Beauty here is, it's, it's perfection, yes, but it's, 
how he relates to David. Beauty in the Bible is often used not only as an aesthetic term, but it's also used as an affirmation term. It points towards a positive effect. When ointment is poured on Jesus' head, he says to his disciples that this lady has done a beautiful thing to me. He affirms it to be a positive thing. And here David is using beauty in that same way. David delights in God's beauty, his covenant faithfulness, his beautifully positive relationship towards him. That makes his heart explode with gratitude and joy. Just as God in Christ is beautifully positive towards us, towards a gracious end, gracious and kind according to to his steadfast kindness. No sin he remembers, nothing can separate us from his hand. He has made beautiful the more he gazes upon his Savior. And then we read, finally, that his faith is cemented in courage. That's the final thing we see here this evening. It's as if he's transported back to the reality of his situation, but now everything is is different. He feels hidden in God and, and concealed from the wrath of his pursuers, the flesh eaters who have surrounded him on every side. It's as if he is, is vanished from their sight, and now he, he can steal his confidence in God's word and, and the God of his salvation. And he says in verse 5, God will lift me high upon a rock. God will pluck him out, as it were, from his distress and set him high above those his enemies, those who would pursue him. Secure it upon the rock, where he can, he can point down upon them and laugh at their vain attempts to assail him. And he's overwhelmed with joy and gladness as if he's rescued in, the, in a pinch. And he says, I will make sacrifices to God in his tent with, with shouts of joy. Shouting for joy that his God has won the victory. Singing and making melody of his deliverance. There's no fear left. Rather, as we sang from Psalm 27, uplifted on a rock above my, my foes around, amid the battle shock, my song shall still resound. He has escaped the grasp of his enemies and sings of his victory. He's free from fear, free to live a life of thanksgiving, a conqueror's courage. David expresses the Christian life, the life of faith. Yes, when the circumstances are grim, yes, we remain sinners. Yes, we have seasons of discouragement, moments where God's face seems hidden. But but when we look at the Savior, we have confidence. When we look at Christ, we are reminded that we are more than conquerors in him. The world, the flesh, the devil, everything that would threaten us to undo us has been overcome. He has overcome the world. We have been lifted high upon a rock. All our foes surround, but we can point down at our foes. We can can rejoice in the God of our salvation. We can stand more than conquerors in him over all things. And when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, that's when we are strong. That's when we what we're called to seek after. That's what David says here in verse 8. You have said to me, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face I will seek. It's a lifelong pursuit to seek his face. The face of a Savior and seek his favor, his blessing. That's why he says, don't hide your face from me. Don't turn from me in your anger. Cast me not off. Forsake me not. My father and mother have forsaken me, but, but the Lord will take me in. And here I don't think he's making a literal statement, but an image of the greatest of human loves, a father and mother to a helpless child. They favor their child, they bless their child, they they love their child, 
But even this greatest of human loves isn't adequate to express that, that, that the feeling that David feels that all human loves would fail him in the end. But the Lord himself will take him in. And don't move quickly from that phrase. He, he's saying that God will adopt me as his son. This is, is kingship language. God, God refers to his anointed one as his son. And David is saying the Lord will take me in as his son. Israel was his son and, and David was his son. And so it is with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the one true son. And here he is confident that God will make him his son, chosen by him, taken into his home. Because the Psalms, in the book of Psalms, is a book about a king, the coming of a king. From Psalm 1 and 2 onwards, the message is that, that our God is king, that our destiny is glory, and that, that our king is coming. And we see David here foreshadowing him in verse 11 when he says, Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies, or a straight way. That's how you know a king is coming. A highway is constructed. That's what David's asking for. Construct the highway. Level the mountains. Raise the plains. Didn't Isaiah announce him saying, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. A voice cries out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be laid lifted up and every mountain laid low. The uneven ground made, made level that the rough places might be made plain and the glory of the Lord shall go before us and be revealed and all flesh shall see him. A king is coming. A king who desires God's face. That's the king that's coming. And that's who David foreshadows. A conqueror who will obey the word of the Lord. To make his glory known on earth. Who will, who will comfort the weak. Who will come to the afflicted and be by their side. Lifting up those surrounded by shadows. Bringing his light. Bringing his kingdom. Teaching his way of grace that we would follow in its light on level ground, seeking his kingdom and his kingdom first, living in light of his grace. That's our confidence. Because the king who comes had his father's face turned from him upon the cross, turned away in anger, that he would never have his anger burn against us, that we would never be cast off or forsaken, that the Lord would take us in and adopt us as his children, accepting us in his Son, that his face would never be hidden from us. David says, Lord, I desire to seek your face. My, en my enemies desire to seek my life, but I desire to seek your face. He says, give me not up to the will of the desire of my adversaries who breathe out violence. Grant, grant my desire to seek you over the desire of my enemies. And that was the prayer of our Lord upon, on his way upon to his cross. He fulfills David's prayer of confidence. He says, I believe that I shall look upon the, Lord, the goodness of the Lord in the, in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Because out of his cross comes his, his resurrection, comes an empty tomb, comes his resurrection raised imperishable where he could laugh at his enemies High and lifted up. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? The victory is in God and Christ. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Christ. 
That's the destiny that the Psalms are, are pointing us towards, a Savior, a King who comes, who seeks God's face, that we, we might also seek after him. No power of sin can withhold us. No scheme of darkness, wickedness, when we are united to that king, the resurrected king. So that you could say tonight, I know that I, I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And when the psalmist uses that, he, he means now, he means here, while I'm living, the land of the living. I know I shall see his face. It's the cry of our faith. I know in spite of everything else I see, because I have seen him with the eyes of faith. The world is strangely dim to me, flickering flames of a fire that will soon fade. But in him, my, my future is strangely bright. His grace is set towards me. He pursues me, David says in, in Psalm 23. He pursues me all the days of my life. His goodness surely shall follow me all the days of my life. His light has dwelt in my darkness. He sought my face that I might seek his. He met my sinfulness with his holiness, but he didn't consume me. But he clothed me in his righteousness. In my weakness, he gave me his strength. In my poverty, he gave me his riches that I might hide myself in him, even in the day of trouble. And I shall be hidden. What good news for you tonight, brothers and sisters. When our faith is in the shadows, we can gaze upon our Savior and we can have courage that we will see his goodness all the days of our lives. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have once again spoken to us this evening of the great love you've shown us in Jesus Christ, that you did not leave us in our darkness, but you have sent the light of the world. You have sent your own Son to dwell with us. And Father, we are so thankful that amidst all of the circumstances of life, amidst our own sin and sinfulness, we can find a cover, we can find a, a hiding place to rest our weary souls and to know that, that we are hidden and secure and that you are the stronghold of our life. And so, Father, may we leave this place into this week ahead and all the various circumstances and things and providences that you send our way that we could be confident. Would you build us in that confidence tonight, we ask. For Jesus' sake, amen.